everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I greatly appreciate you guys taking a, a few minutes out of your day to listen to my podcast. And this week, I have a very interesting guest. I talked to John Red Shea. He was the head of drug operations for Whitey Bulger and the Winter Hill Gang in the 1980s and early 90s. And for those that don't know who Whitey Bulger is, I mean, what is wrong with you, number one, but maybe some international listeners, Whitey Bulger, after Osama bin Laden, was the most wanted man in America for 20 years. And they got Osama bin Laden before they got Whitey Bulger. Yeah. John was very gracious with his time, and we talk about what Whitey Bulger's defense in his trial should have been, going to federal prison for 12 years, how he became the head of the drug operation for Whitey Bulger and the Winter Hill Gang, bringing up kilos of cocaine from Florida to Boston. I mean, what more do you want coming through for you guys? And again, I can't thank John enough. He was so gracious with his time. We talked for a long time. So here it is, my uh, talk with John Red Shea. Hey, are you still in Boston? I am, yeah. That's so crazy. After all that, you'd come back home. Yeah, of course. I, I, I could never leave home. It's my spot, kid. Absolutely. <laughs> so your book, bro. The first time I saw your book, I was still I was working for Howard Stern over in uh, New York. Sure. And I walked into the the kitchen, and people leave stuff there. It's just the randomest shit. Like, I don't know why. They just leave books there and stuff. And I walked in, and I was looking at some books, and, and I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, rat bastards. Now that's something I can get my teeth into. And I went home that night, and I read it, and within two days, I was done. Great read, man. And I said to myself, this was like in 2006, man, if I get to talk to him one day, that'd be something. And I'm so glad, man, you're on, bro. This is fucking yeah, great. Yeah, I'm happy to be on. Trust me. I, I wanted to be on Stern, but uh, Howard wanted Mark Wahlberg to be on with me. And I'm like, I'm not going to bust Mark's balls to be on Howard Stern with me. Either you wanted me on about the book, and we could talk about Mark and how he wrote the introduction to the book and all that and everything else. But, I mean, you know, I'm not going to expose Mark like that. You know, <laughs> who knows what Howard's going to say. I mean, yeah, you better be careful. <laughs> Howard's a loose cannon. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're going into the lion's den. Yeah, I mean, he's lightning bolt. I mean, you know, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I I, I was eating one time at uh, Ocean's um, Restaurant. You know Ocean's Restaurant in New York? That's right by 48th and uh, 6th Avenue. Yeah, yeah. We were sitting outside, and I remember Howard walking by, and I goes, oh, this Howard over there. Mark was like, oh, please, don't be asking me really personal questions, you know? I mean, I, you know, I mean, he kind of go, oh, Howard goes a little overboard, I, you know, so. Well, okay. yeah, that's his audience. Yeah, I get that, and, you know, that's why Howard's who Howard is today and what he's done, and I, you know, I respect that. I mean, the guy's a legend. You know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, no doubt about that. But um, when I'm on a subway and I see somebody cough without covering their mouth for the next like 12 hours, oh shit, I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get sick. I have like, I, it goes into my head. I'm like, I start getting sniffles. And, and then you are like in this situation where you're a young kid, you're like 20 years old, you're coming up, you're moving all these drugs, you're making so much money. You're getting in with probably one of the most infamous gangsters in America. In history. In history. And American history. American history. Did you ever have panic attacks or heart palpations? Never. Never, huh? No. I inspired for it because he inspired me. I wanted to be like him. I want to emulate him. Whitey Bulger. Unfortunately, at the time, I wanted to emulate him. As a young kid, I was very influenced being a young man. What did he mean to you back then? 
Oh, I mean, you know, there's a guy that had so much power and so much influence. I mean, you know, when you're a young kid come from the project, you don't have anything. You don't have a father at home or anything like that. It meant a lot. It meant getting out of poverty. It meant getting uh, into a level of a society that everyone respected you at, no matter what. With that brand behind you, that's like Coca-Cola in the underworld. Exactly. And it was working. And, um, you know, I did a lot of favors for people back then when I had the, when I started coming up mm-hmm. and I started gaining the power that I had. I did a lot of favors for local people and stuff like that and businessmen and stuff when they had problems with their businesses or they had problems around their properties with kids and uh, hanging out and causing trouble or whatever. And they'd give me a call and I'd drive by and I'd say, hey, no more hanging around here. I did things like that for people, you know. I protected the neighborhood in a sense, in that sense. You're always going to have some type of illegal uh, activity going on in neighborhoods no matter what. Um, It's just a matter of controlling it, and that's what we did. We controlled it. You know, there was no heroin involved. There's no uh, LSD. There was no uh, angel dust involved, things that would make people really go, like, bonkers because Whitey said no to it. As much as a rat Whitey was, unbeknownst to me at the time, of course, he did control that situation. That was a no-no in Southie. That was a no-no in South Boston. Then the other thing was heroin. Mm -hmm. No heroin was allowed. Today, heroin's running rampant. Oh, is it? I had an interview one time, and the kids, it was a call-in interview, and the guy said, you got me hooked on heroin. So I let him keep going and going and going. I let him speak, and let me tell you something. I put him in his place. <laughs> you were like, listen, you motherfucker. Listen, I said, let me tell you something. You got the wrong guy. Yeah. You're a liar. Whoa. I said, first of all, you need to look in the mirror and accept responsibility for the wrongs you did just as well as I did in life. I did wrong. I accepted my responsibility, and I did my dues. You know, 12 years in prison straight, okay? Now... You got a guy here, he's blaming me for what his heroin. There was no heroin involved. There was no heroin allowed when we were in control. You just moved cocaine. That was it. And marijuana. Those were the two staples. Nothing else was allowed. And that was, a, that was a rule from him. Whitey. And that was a rule from Whitey. Okay? And it was followed. How, how manipulative was he? Extremely. Oh, forget about it. I mean, the charisma and the manipulation that he had and the power and, you know, he didn't want to cross him either. I mean, I mean I, I'm mean, i a tough guy. I mean, I, I have a formidable individual myself, obviously, but um, facing him is a different story. So when he was around, you know how in, in a regular workday atmosphere for people out there or in an office atmosphere – you know when your boss walks in the room, you're automatically like at attention. You're acting like you're doing something even if you were just on Facebook. It was similar to that, yes. He was very fluctuating in his moods, and I'm not sure if that was to do with the LSD treatments that he ex- received during when he was away and Alcatraz and stuff like that. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't do the LSD in Alcatraz. I believe he did it in Atlanta. Because when they closed Alcatraz down, they moved them to Atlanta. So in the 1940s and 50s, Whitey Bulger was already a legend in Boston. This guy was already committing armed robberies. People know him in the, in the area. He was already the man. 
And he went away to prison in the 1950s for some armed robbery. One of these prisons he went to was Alcatraz. It was actually in the 60s. The 60s, I'm sorry. And when he was there, he was involved in LSD experiments? When they shut down Alcatraz, they moved him to Atlanta, and that's where he went into the LSD experiences. And let me tell you something, okay? The lawyers should have told him, no matter if you're Whitey Bulger or fucking not— this is the way we need to go to give you a chance to actually have a fucking chance in getting you something off. What they should have did, my opinion, and I've spoke to many, many lawyers about this, that because of his LSD use, they should have said for him, they created this monster. He actually thought because of LSD, he was an agent for them. That's the way they should have went about it. So he was down in Atlanta, and all of a sudden, government officials come yeah, in. Yeah, the government officials come in, and they, and they had this uh, program going on with LSD. And they asked him if he wanted to be a part of it so he could get time off. Time cut off his sentence. Tripping in jail? No way. So man. he took the shot to do it. Oof. And from what I understand, he still has nightmares till today. He had a public defender, right? Yeah, he went public defender. No. Personally, I know that he could have afforded the uh, lawyers with no problem, and everyone else knows that. But it's the he, money. He wants to hide that shit. He, he, yeah, I mean, they're still looking for that money. <laughs> he had, he had eight hundred thousand dollars in a wall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just in the wall. I mean, eight hundred grand in a wall. That said, and listen, I'm not an attorney, but I have some experience with the law, obviously. No, and, a little and, bit. And, yeah, a little bit. You know, twelve years worth of it. <laughs> right. um, you know. Uh, I, I know more than public defenders do. I can tell you that much. They should have went with that defense. Would they have gotten him off? I don't think so. But it was a shot. It was worth a but shot. But it was a it was a better shot than what they went with. What did they go with? They just kind of like this is uh, you know what what can we do? He's not a rat. He had a deal with the U.S. Uh, prosecutor O'Sullivan at the time. And because he did a favor for O'Sullivan. He's the guy that everybody seems to want to pin it on. Even John Connolly, the former FBI guy that was in cahoots with Whitey Bulger, he tried to pin it on O'Sullivan too. It's easy to pin it on a dead guy. Yeah. I Shit, I'd try and do that too. I mean, I would too. But that wasn't the way to go. I'm sorry. If you really want it, you know you're going to go away. You really want to bang these guys up for the things that happen, then expose them. From the beginning of the time when I started the LSD experiments with them, and this is what happened to my client. Right. These people created this fucking monster. Go down in a blaze of glory. Think about that in a courtroom. I mean, people would have lost their shit. Now, when, when, when you did grow up in Southie, it was tough back then, right? You grew up in the 60s and the 70s. It was a different place, man. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely tough. You needed. To know how to handle yourself, absolutely. No doubt about it. I mean, that's why my sister brought me to the gym. That's how I learned how to box because I got beat up by a couple of older kids in the neighborhood and she brought me to the gym, the local gym, to learn how to box. And that's where it all began for me. They were 16 years of age. I was only five years old. So they had 11 years and 15 years on me. There was no way I could fight them even if I knew how to box at five years old. I, I didn't have the, the strength to do it. And then that's when my sister said, "I'm gonna." Well, my sister did my battle in farming. She went into the house and beat the shit out of the guys <laughs> with a coat rack. 
and I think that's where the departed got that little scene with the coat rack and beating the guy with the coat rack. Oh, is they that right? Take, I'm telling you right now. So somebody must have, you know, they stole a little bit of that or something. Who knows? I don't know. You better I, get some I, money for that. That'd be like, uh, that'd be like trying to win a lottery. Right. So you start boxing, and that's where you met this guy, Tommy Connors. He was like your father figure during their teenage years. That's correct, and during that time. And then eventually I started meeting all the other guys. Like who? Paul Moore, uh, Kevin Weeks, uh, Whitey Bulger. Those were the, the mobsters. That's how you got in with them. The real guy was uh, was Whitey, and, and then his uh, his guy who uh, did whatever he wanted, uh, told him to go get this, or see you, or call this person for me, or do that, was Kevin. There's no doubt about it. Kevin did do that. Kevin Weeks. Kevin Weeks, that's correct. Who's been quoted lots in the papers recently about he was in People, and they're asking him all over the place about Black Mass. Well, he's dispa- he's mad about Black Mass because it, it portrays his character as a dummy. And I don't really see it as a dummy. I kind of see it not totally who Kevin was, but three quarters of who Kevin was. That's pretty good if you can get that out of a movie, three quarters, right, out of an individual? Yeah, it's a Hollywood movie, man. What more do you want? Exactly. Did he get a check? Well, there were other stories that I heard about him showing up on the, uh, the set and, and saying, you know, I'm Kevin Weeks. I'm looking for this one or whatever. And, you know, and, you know it didn't work out for him. He didn't get a nickel. They didn't want him aboard. And, you know, I heard it was quite embarrassing, to be honest with oh, you. Oh, that sucks. Do you get along with him? No, I don't get along with anybody who cooperated with the government. Let me rephrase that. It's not that I don't get along with him. It's that I don't make a point to engage or uh, have anything to do with anybody who uh, has cooperated with the government to save their own ass. Anybody who does that, they always like to say, oh, I only ratted on rats. That's not true. When you go in there, you have to tell all. And quite frankly, a, mo- a lot of people who go in there and do that, not only do they tell all, but they also lie. To try and blame it on someone else. Yeah, that's a fact. And it, to give more credos to them so they can get their deal so they won't have to do a life bit. I mean, he did five years. I mean, think about it. I mean, five years to my, my 12 years. They didn't catch me with a body, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, well, that's besides the point. But, I mean, if they caught me with a body, me and you wouldn't be speaking right now. I can tell you that. You know, I'd be still in prison. Or you would have ran to Canada. Uh, yeah, I don't think. It would have got me in Canada, too. Canada <laughs> would have gave me up. Though I do have friends in Canada. Right. But that's besides the point. Become a fisherman. I, I definitely would have been in prison. But five years? Five years for, for all the bodies that were... Because he brought him to the graves and said, I dug the holes for these graves, and Stevie and Whitey killed them and threw them in there. And his excuse was, if I didn't fucking dig the hole, I would have ended up in the hole with them too. And that's probably true. There's probably some truth to that. Yeah. Kevin Weeks was like a son to Whitey Bulger in a way. I mean, he would have done anything that guy said. I was like an apprentice, but Kevin was like his son. There's a difference. So when I say that, when people say, you weren't, you know, some people might argue, you weren't a princess. I was the youngest guy involved, first of all. Mm. I was up and coming. And one of the things that uh, Whitey had said about me, and he said this to a Tommy Connors, he said to him, that guy right there, that kid right there, reminds me so much of me when I was younger. He needs guidance. He was talking about me because how wild I was mm. and how what I, how erratic I was and running the streets and doing what I was doing. That's what he said to Tommy Connors at that time. So there was a difference between me and Kevin Weeks. 
The difference was I reminded Whitey of himself, and Whitey knew what he had in Kevin Weeks, and he knew that he could trust Kevin and telling Kevin to go do this and do that no matter what, even if he was mad or whatever. Whereas if he did that to me and yelled at me, you know, he yelled at Kevin. There's no doubt about it. Kevin wasn't a partner. He likes to say he was a partner. He wasn't a partner. Trust me. His father from me. The only partners was, was Stevie and, and Whitey. No one else was a partner in that. Because if Kevin was a partner, he would have known all about John Connolly. He never met him, right? He met him, but he didn't know totally what was going on. The guy could have been, you know, ordering Doritos or He was just messen- messenger boy. So Kevin Weeks was a lieutenant in the Winter Hill Gang. And John Connolly was the FBI agent that Whitey Bulger and Steve Flurney were, that were working with. Correct. So Kevin held a lot of power, don't get me wrong. I, as a matter of fact, I used to look at Kevin like an older brother. And when I got the information, I got a visit one time when I was in prison that Kevin was going to cooperate. Ooh. And he wanted me to understand why he was going to cooperate. And I sent the message back to him that I don't accept it because I was willing to give my life no matter what because that was the rule of thumb. Whether Whitey Bulger... Stevie Flemmy, Kevin Weeks, or anyone else could live up to that. I was going to honor that, and that's what was preached. And when you're so young, you're the most absorbent individual in the group, and it sticks with you, and you don't let it go, and you go through the fire with it. Do you think if you were older, it would have been different? I don't know. It's a hypothetical question, and I, I, I don't know. But all I know is I'm glad. What I, I'm so happy that I stuck to my guns. I'm so happy that hey, listen, I did more time than any of the guys uh, that cooperated and took the responsibility for my uh, my wrongs. And right. I'm able to walk down to any street in Boston and hold my head high. So, so the community kind of embraced you when you came back home. Well, I wouldn't say the community totally embraced me. I mean, you know, you got to realize. I mean, that's the thing. You went away for 11 years for a reason. You uh, dealt in drugs. Years. 12 years. I'm so sorry. And and I don't want to cut you short with that. You know, 12 years is tw- fucking 12 years. Yeah, you know? I mean, a year is a year. A year is a fucking year. <laughs> a year. A year in federal days. jail. I mean, if you said 30 days, I'd be like, ah, oh, whatever. Right. No, 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 no. Like a year in federal jail. I mean, like, I couldn't like even 50 fucking cent. imagine. I, I got a beef with 50 Cent, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, I get a beef with him, and if I ever if I ever see him, we're gonna have a little discussion about it. <laughs> what happened? Fifty Cent in his original song, he always says, "I did nine, I did nine. and everybody thinks it's nine years in his song that he did. Like he's a tough guy, right? Yeah, nine months. Oh, he did nine months. Nine months. <laughs> I, I I got that on the toilet inside prison, and it did some. I mean, hello. <laughs> I mean, really? Damn, bro, that's like an appetizer. With 12 years, exactly. That's a long time. I mean, that's just unbelievable. And you know what? Jim, I'm very, I'm very, very lucky. Jim, I am not kidding you. I am extremely lucky that it was just 12 years. It could have been worse, huh? It could have been a lot worse, Jim. It could have been where a point that I'm just getting out of prison now, today. It could have been 20-something, 30 years. Damn, man. So, But because of the good lawyers that I had... They brokered a deal with the government where we wouldn't go to trial, but I wouldn't cooperate against anyone, and I accept full responsibility. Boom. Boom. Done. Sign it up. See you later. Sign it up. Let's go. 12 years, I'm there. 
15 years, I'm there. Let's go. I'll do it. So you posted bail, right? And then you were out for a little while. Now, you met with Whitey Bulger in between the point where you posted bail and then you had to go in to serve your sentence. I did, yes. And did you ever fear for your life in those meetings? Because, you know, hey, he doesn't know for sure. I'm not 100% that you're not cooperating. You know, let, let me just say this. I didn't fear at all from him. And I understand where you're coming from, but I never feared one iota. And I just got this confirmation just recently because um, – Stevie Flemmy, his, his who was Whitey's partner, the rifleman, the rifleman, his son Stevie Jr. He said to me recently, and I and he's a good kid, he's a good guy. Just because of what you know, his father did doesn't make him a bad guy. Stevie Jr. said to me, you know, when you got indicted and arrested and all that, my father said, he said to everybody, he said to Whitey, Red Shale never rat ever, ever. And here's Stevie who is disloyal to the Hill, and he's doing a life bit now. And testified against Whitey in open court. And testified against Whitey in open court. You know, and that was way back then. Even though we, you know, we look at Stevie now, or Whitey now as rats and, and, and this and that. If you think about that statement back then, from them type of individuals, that was pretty strong. The youngest guy of all showing how fucking strong to be. They didn't even have the strength to do it. Exactly. Now, as you say before, there's a code, the gangster code, and that is never rat and don't kill women. And apparently now, this is coming out in court, they killed two women. I mean, how do you feel about that? I have mixed feelings about it, believe it or not. It's a horrible thing what happened. And I don't believe in doing that at all by any means. I don't believe in doing any of that. But, you know, as far as Whitey was thinking, his thinking, let's, let's, let's put it that way. Let's think about Whitey for a minute in this situation. Whitey's thinking like a military individual. And he's thinking about the circumstances and the casualties that are going to happen. If this information is released that they are informants to the underworld and that they find out that Stevie and Whitey have been informants and that they're cooperating with the FBI, how many people are going to be gunning for them? Let me ask you that. Let me just put that out there for a minute. How many people are going to be gunning for them? Everyone. Oh, yeah. Everyone. So these women, you're assuming that these women knew. They knew. So these women apparently were girlfriends of either Whitey or Stevie. I, I don't remember which one. One of the girls was Stevie Jr.'s sister. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's a horrible situation. Wait a minute. He killed Fucking. Stevie. He killed his sister? Yes, because oh, he was oh. having sexual, sexual relations with her. With his sister? Exactly. But she, she said some things to them, uh, supposedly – Allegedly, she said some things to them that she, you know, that didn't sit well with Whitey. Man, I didn't know that he was his sister. Jesus. Yeah. So it's a horrible situation that that's why when Rat Bastards was created. Your book. Um, yeah, my book. And it says the lifetime of South Boston, South Boston's most honorable Irish mobster. The reason why most honorable Irish mobster because I wouldn't fucking do things like that. 
I would never do something like that, ever. That's psychopathic behavior, you know. I it, mean, to kill it is. It, it, a no woman. doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I know that your code and your your deal, you know what I mean? Like uh, ratting. I mean, that's fucking horrible. You can't like. Hey, listen, but, like, but killing if you're a in woman. A, if me and you were doing crime together, it's simple. Very no gray area here, Jim. Yeah. If me and you were doing a crime together and we get caught, you take your fucking punishment. Or you run. Listen. If you got caught and I got off and I ran and they wanted you to ride on your partner, you take your fucking punishment because that's the way it is. That's what you, you're supposed to do. And I get this old saying, there's no code among thieves. There's no code among thieves. I hear this all the fucking time. I hate that code. <laughs> that's not your code. That code is in, in John Red Shea's vocabulary. <laughs> it's not. If it was me, I would have ran. I'm going to Canada. I'm living in the woods. Whatever, whatever. Whatever you got to do. Yeah, I, I would never rat. I would be too scared to rat because I, I knew that you know, it would kill me. The code is this. You don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Yeah, it's that simple. That's it. My uncle said to me years ago, his brother ran around with Whitey when they were younger, and I talk about it in my book. They used to rob trucks together and stuff and make money. And he went away to uh, state prison, and he did time in state prison. My my other uncle, he said, yeah, I can't do what my, my brother Richie does. He said, you know why? Because I could never do the time, so I won't break the law. But there were so many fucking people that are dishonest and cowards that will go out there and say, I don't give a fuck if I can do the time or can't do the time. I'm making money. I don't give a fuck. I'll rat on that guy in about two seconds. Let me tell you something. If you were in war, would you like that guy in the foxhole with you? Mm-mm. What the fuck would happen then? I mean, think about it, Jim. Yeah. Is that how you looked at it? Did you look at what you were doing as like a war? I wouldn't say I was going to war, but I would say I didn't really think about like, yeah, you know, it's wrong and all this and that. And I know it's wrong legally and by the law and all this. But I knew the corruption that was happening within the government just like the Iran-Contra scandal, selling selling drugs to the fucking people to get guns and all this bullshit and everything else. So a kid from the fucking neighborhood that is doing the same as they're doing, trying to make a fucking dollar, not forcing anything down anybody's throat, just like, uh, you know, hey, if you want to buy something here, you're great. You want to do something here, you're great, you know? Uh, it wasn't like, hey, here's a gun to your head. Take this shit and pay me money or I'll kill you. It was nothing like that. It was like, hey, we got a product available. You want to buy it? Like a merchant, right? You want to buy it? You're welcome. Wasn't there a point, though? There was other drug dealers in the area working independently. And at one point, you did go to them and you were like, hey, motherfucker, you better buy your shit from me or you pay me the difference of what you're saving on buying from that other guy. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. That's absolutely right. So you know why? Because I control it's, I, I control that area. I made sure. That, hey, someone has got to make sure that the people are safe. I mean, the 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 the, the merchants are safe, right? Mm. Right. I mean, think about it. What what am I going to do? Stick my neck out? What if they're getting beat up from some dog or something like that? Who's going to take care of that? And didn't they try and test you? Remember? I handled that. Well, all right. So this is in the book. What happens is they just give you this responsibility to start taking over the drug thing for the Winter Hill Gang. They kicked out the other guy, Mickey O. 
Well, let me get to the real name of that because I did change the names out of respect because they never got indicted at the time, correct? Well, since then, the name has come out because he testified against Whitey in federal court. Okay, so now you can say his name. So now we can speak about this. Let's do it. His last name was Shea, too, S-H-E-A. No relative, though. No relative. Okay. His name was Bill Shea. And he went into federal court, and he testified in federal court against Whitey and saying how he was the main guy who ran all the drug entity for Whitey. And, and Billy had some charisma, too. He was very – he was educated, he was charisma, and he did time in federal state, state prison and stuff like that. Yeah. Billy Shea was the guy who was in charge at the time. And there was another – other guys involved that – one guy that was involved that Whitey put in, put in place to keep an eye on Billy. And Billy knew it. Mm. Billy knew it. Billy's dead now. He just died of cancer, by the way. And, you know, I'm not – I, th- we can get into a lot more about him because he was kind of like uh, Stevie, for sure. Him and Whitey were very close. Him and Whitey were very close. But Whitey always said to me, he's got a sickness. That guy's got a sickness, Johnny. And I'd say, yeah, I think so. What is the sickness? Uh, I don't want to get into about the sickness and you know and family members and stuff like that. Oh, you know, I don't shit. I don't want to I don't want to go into that because you know they're still alive. People are still alive. I don't want to disrespect them people by any means. So he was doing some funny shit with his with kids or something something like that. Family members. Okay, with family members. And this guy was the, running the drug organization. He was he was the boss. And he drew me in because I was doing my own thing and he wanted and I had a better connection and he said that on the stand in the trial. He said Red Shea had the best product there was. And that's cocaine. You had the bomb shit. I had the bomb shit. And then he said Red Shea was a maverick. Top gun. He ruled to nobody. He listened to nobody. He was his own man. And we brought him in. And then And then something happened where Billy, they caught on where Billy Shea wanted me to start, and I talk about this in Rap Bass, is about cheating. Cheating and taking away from the uh, kilos and uh, doctoring the kilo and making it weaker. Oh, so cutting it. Exactly. Cutting the kilo and then taking the good stuff, cutting that and selling it to my own private people. And he'd get a profit out of that with me, just me and him. So doing it on the side, unbeknownst to Whitey. I'm beknownst to Whitey and the other people that were involved. I went, whoa, 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 oh, hey, oh. I said, hold up. I said, what are you fucking nuts? <laughs> was he snorting the shit? I said, no, fuck. I don't, I'm not fucking happy with that. I don't agree to that. I'm the fucking boss. He went off. I'm the fucking boss. This is the way it's going to be. Now, mind you, I'm a, I'm a young guy at the time, but I'm not stupid. So I said, okay, you're the boss. So what do I do? Tommy Connors is a good confidant of mine. I tell him what's going on. And he was your friend from the boxing days. He was like your your trainer. He taught me everything I know about boxing. So I said, you know, he goes, Johnny, he's going to fucking throw you under the bus if anything ever happens. You know that. He's going to blame you when Whitey finds out. Exactly. He's going to blame me to Whitey when Whitey finds out. So what happens? Tommy says to me, all I can tell you, John, is to continue what you're doing. Make the money. Because you're making a lot of money. If anything happens, you only did what the boss told you to do. So now I get a visit with amongst the guys involved. And one of them was Billy Shea's brother. 
they asked me, hey, the cocaine, it's weak, it's this, it's that. I knew it was going to be an issue. I fucking knew it. So I said to him, yeah. I said, you're asking, talking to the wrong guy about this. You better go talk to the boss about this. Don't ask me. Oh, you're the guy who runs it, runs it from back and forth, and you're the this and that, and you get all this money, and da 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 I, you know, I broke it a good deal. You know, I made sure I got my fucking money. And I can tell you that one day about me. You need me to broker a deal for you? Just call Johnny Red. I'll broker it for you. Hey now. Yeah. I don't have a half edu- education or a year level education, but I can tell you what this. I broke it some da- damn good fucking deals in my day. <laughs> That were very profitable. That were very profitable. You got a fucking BA in street life. I bet I can do better than some of the Harvard guys. As a matter of fact, not to get off track, didn't Harvard guys just get beat up in a uh, debate against guys who were in prison from upstate New York? Yeah, they lost, man. That's they right. They lost, exactly. So let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if you got a Harvard education or nothing. If you're from the street like I am, kid, you're going to win. <laughs> so they came to you. They were like, listen. The coke is weak. They kind of put the pressure on me. Something's going on, Johnny. I stood up to him, of course, because that's my nature to be a man and stand up. And um, and I told him, I said, don't, don't go talk to him. Well, he said you. I don't give a fuck what he said. Oh, that motherfucker was already trying to rat you out. He already ratted on me. He already <laughs> gave me up. Exactly. But apparently they believed you, right? They didn't believe me. Oh, they didn't believe you. No, they didn't fucking believe me if I'm fucking... They didn't believe me from Adam. So anyway, they go back to Whitey with it. Oh, fuck. They explain everything to Whitey. And Whitey said, no fucking way. No fucking way. He said, that guy is setting that young guy up. Whitey knew. How did he know? Because he was that intelligent. He just knew shit like that, huh? He said, no fucking way that that kid, that young guy would do that. He's too eager, that kid, to do the right thing. And to show that he's the man. I know he is. I know Billy Shea. I know the characters of each individual. No fucking way. So what happens then? Billy got a call. And of course, Billy doesn't explain it properly, understand, in in the trial. Oh, really? When he testified against Whitey? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He fucking lied, that prick. So (laughs) A lot lot of that going around. (laughs) This is what I'm telling you about these informants. So... Whitey calls him up from Florida. The brother calls him. Whitey wants to see you. Huh? You heard it? said, Whitey wants to see you. He wants you to come up here. What's it? Why, why does Whitey want to see me? Why? 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 You know, he's stumbling. <laughs> you know? Well, he wants to see you. So he comes up. Fucking Whitey comes up. He gets in a meeting, and Billy Shea hated me after that because he, he thought said you to- ratted him out. Yeah, because he told Tommy Connors, he goes, Red set me up. He told Tommy Connors this. So Tommy Connors says to him, you didn't set you up. You set yourself up. Yeah. He goes, I could have been fucking killed. So Billy was called up to Florida, and Whitey told him, you need to leave fucking town and leave this whole operation now. And that's how I became the person that I became at the top of the helm. Then you took... Billy Shea's spot. I took his spot as the head of the drug operation. Now they tested me. Now after all that said about Billy, I get a call. Hey, what's up? Hey, yeah, you know, I want to meet up and stuff like that. So, okay, let's meet up. Unbeknownst to me, what's happening? Of course, it was, it was daytime. 
if it was nighttime, I would have thought too. You know, it would have been. Oh, wait a minute! Signals and my antennas would have been wiggling. You know, <laughs> spider sense tingling. You yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. What, what, what are we doing at night? You know, <laughs> you know. But because it was daytime, my guard was down a, a little bit. To be honest with you. So that said, I said, okay, I meet up. We get down into the store, one of the stores there that was operating, uh, they had operation of in uh, Southie. We go into the store, we get on, nobody's there at the time, it's vacant, and uh, we get on in the basement. As soon as I get on the basement, I goes, yeah, I want to show you something down here. Who said that? Kevin Weeks. Whitey's lieutenant. We get down there, we walk down, sure, no problem, what do you want to show me? And I was a young guy, I should have fucking thought better. And let me tell you something, it was a lesson that I learned at that time. You know, I thought I knew a lot then. You think everything is happening at night. Uh, like Whitey used to say, nighttime's the time to do things because it's free camouflage. So I get out in the basement. I, before I turned around, could turn around, I get the Uzis on me. Whoa. We want to know where your friend's money is, this and that, this guy, that guy, ba 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 ba. I was like, what? Facing, I'm in a fucking basement, a dungeon. Right. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to fucking go, and I'm and I'm looking at these woozies on me, and I'm going, what? Anything they asking me for my friend's money, and whether it was Tommy Connors had money or anyone else who had money who was making money with me, I said, let me let, let me just say one thing. Whatever they have is because of me. I had this feeling, hey, I, I, this is the end. But you know what? I'm not gonna give my friends up. And I said to him, whatever they have was because of me, and it's only because of me. And the, and if they have any money, it's because of me, and it's my money. My money. I take full responsibility. I, I had my head down at one point. As I lifted it up and looked at them, I said to them, do what you got to do. <laughs> That's some balls, bro. Jesus. Jim, I'll tell you right now, I'm very lucky to be alive because – but. There was no, there was nothing that was gonna happen at that point. There was just, te it was just a test. But you didn't know that. But I didn't know that. How the fuck do I know that? I don't know <laughs> that, right? I mean, there's, hello. there's still, there's two psychotic killers, pointing Uzis at you, telling you that one of your friends stole money, or we want to know where the money is. We want to rob them. It ain't happening. I ain't riding on anybody. I ain't giving up anybody. You want anything? It's you're gonna have to go through me. And then what they do? They let it sit for a second, like a couple minutes. It probably felt like a fucking hour. Let it sit for a few minutes, a few seconds, and then that's when like you passed the test. Who said that, Whitey? Whitey. I was so fucking mad, Jim. Oh. Jim, you don't know how fucking mad I was. I was so fucking mad. I just wanted to get out of the fucking basement. I wanted to grab my own gear and my own fucking guns and right. come back and say, fuck yous all and kill them all. I mean, I was so fucking mad about it. I, I'll be honest with you. I was fucking livid. But I said to myself, even at that young age, I still had a composure. The reason why I had that composure is because of boxing. Boxing gave me that ability to think, you know, in tough situations. I thought about it. I was so fucking mad. I'll be honest with you. I mean, oh, God, was I mad. Right. It's, it's not like every day where your boss sticks an Uzi in your face and then laughs. You know, I just wanted to fucking go back there and just fucking spray the everybody. Just, <laughs> you know, just walk right up. And I don't mean from a car. I mean walk right up and just do it right there and 
10 feet away from all of them. Yeah. And then scream in, you passed the fucking test, motherfucker. Uh, yeah, something <laughs> to that effect. <laughs> you but, failed. <laughs> but you need to think things through before you do things, too. Well, yeah, you know, I mean. And this is where the business part of me comes in. Well, you were looking to get ahead. And I guarantee you, there is no businessman in this world that has ever faced that type of situation and handled it, handled the business situation like I have in my life. So there you go. You become the head of the of the drug operation for Winter Hill Gang. Now I become the head of the drug organization. You start working your connect down in Florida, bringing up kilos. I already had it going. It was already, it was already going on. It was already moving forward, and I just kept fucking rolling it. And I rolled it even a little bigger. How many kilos were you bringing up? Uh, monthly. I, I mean, it was multiple kilos monthly. I mean, multiple. I remember pulling over to a cop in Florida one time, and I was like, excuse me, officer. I had a trunk load of fucking kilos <laughs> in Miami. And my friend, the guy who was driving for me, he was like, oh, fuck, I don't know if this is good. I said, pull the fuck over. I said, your father, I'm son. So we pull over, and I says to him, Excuse me, officer. You know, like I was a little college boy or something, you know. And I dressed that way. I dressed that way. I looked that way. I was prepared that way. Um, I said, excuse me, officer, we got lost here. Which way to 95? Excuse me, sir. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's that way. No problem. Ah, yeah, you guys go this way. I'm... And then. Well, did you were, were you trying to impress the driver that you were with? Or just you were really trying to find 95? No, le legitimately, I wasn't trying to impress anybody. You were and lost. It wasn't like <laughs> we were lost. And, <laughs> and back then in the 80s, you didn't have your GPS on your phone and shit, you know? So that said, the officer guided us right to fucking 95 with the full chunk load of kilos. And then I talk about it in Rap Bastards. I talk about how we're driving. And I let the drive. I was driving, and I let the driver take over. And uh, he was an older guy, Tom Cahill. And he was like, you know, we had the father-son act going on. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm the real fucking villain, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking Lex Luthor. If you want to, yeah. If you want to put it that way. So we're driving, and I always said to him, whatever you do, don't fucking speed. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And we and one thing, one of the rules of thumb is, is never drive at night because there's less cars. So we're going through the Carolinas, and I talk about this in Rap Passage. And he's speeding. And I just given the wheel over to him. All of a sudden, here comes the fucking police. Blue lights are on us. We're loaded. We got like 15, 20 kilos in the fucking back of the trunk. I'm like, oh, fuck. He goes, oh, fuck. I went, what? <laughs> And I'm kind of lying back, you know, it's like three in the morning, you know, right. and I'm like, and the only reason we were driving at night, let me get to that point, is because we were in a deadline. I had to get back to make sure everybody was copacetic and that we knew that, we know, you know, nothing was going on and I had to get the kilos back. Jeez, man, you figured they would give you some overtime or like, you know, it's like, come on, man, I'm working here, bro. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So anyhow, here comes the fucking blue lights. It's the Carolina State Police. Huh. Great. Carolina, Delaware, fucking worst places you want to get pulled over. Really? New Jersey, even New Jersey. I mean, I mean, you know, it's fucking bad, them places, right? So I said, okay, okay. Father and son. Remember that. Father and son. Father and son. I'm going to act like I'm fucking sleeping here, okay? Because it's early in the late at night, early in the morning, whatever. 3 a.m. He says to me, okay, okay, okay. 
I said, so just relax, breathe, breathe, relax, breathe, breathe. Him I am coaching him, right? <laughs> You're the so, son. Exactly. The good son. So now he pulls over. I said, just pull the fuck over. Nice and smooth. So he pulls over. He goes, excuse me, sir. License and registration. You were speeding back there. And the fucking good thing about it is that this guy was a farmer or a marine. He had a fucking ring on from from down in Fayetteville, down in Lafayette or whatever it is down there. The state trooper saw him and he goes, oh, you're ex-marine here. He says, yeah, I did my time down here. He said, I did my bit. Oh, and he just went along with it and he started talking to him. He'd get out of the car and talk with him. He distracted him as best he could. He did an actual, actually, he did a great job. And and then he turned to me. He goes, "Excuse me, I'm riding my son. My my, we had a baby chair in the back of this uh, car. <laughs> so he was like, yeah, we come down with my family, but my my baby got sick, and my wife had to fly back to Boston with the baby. So we had the story good. Yeah, that's solid. He goes, but I'm here with my son. He goes, and I'm like waking up like groggy. Yeah, dad. Yeah. Yeah. You, you like get up. You're like, dad, are we home yet? Are we in Boston yet? He goes, can you get the registration, son? And I reached in and I grabbed the registration and I, and I passed him the registration. I said, here you go, dad. You know? And, and the fucking, the state trooper's like, oh, these guys are good guys. He's a father and son, right? I mean, think about it. Right. Right? State trooper goes back and he says to him, hey, my, my, I don't want to give you a ticket. I fucking wish I didn't have to give you a ticket. He said, but my supervisor clocked you from the bridge that you went out underneath. He said, so I have to I have to charge you. He paid the fucking ticket on the spot. He paid the ticket. At that time, he could pay the pick, ticket on the spot. He paid it. We got in the fucking car. We started driving away. And I goes, you motherfucker. I said, don't you fucking speed from here on out. I don't give a fuck, <laughs> you motherfucker. I said, what if he wanted to search a car? You tell me. What if he wanted to search the fucking car? What would we do? Done. Good night. We would have had to do something drastic. So that's the end of part one. John was so gracious with his time that I actually have enough material for a second part. <laughs> In the second part, we'll talk about his professional boxing career where he was a junior Olympic champion, where he fought the likes of Mickey Ward, who, of course, was the inspiration for the movie The Fighter. Meeting Mike Tyson, he met Costamato, the legendary boxing trainer. He hang out with Johnny Depp on the set of Black Mass. We talk more about Whitey Bulger and Steve Fleming's relationship with the Italian Mafia, the love that got away and his ex-flame Penelope, and a lot more. Uh, Jimsville Podcast is now on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. Naturally, the home is on SoundCloud. So if you like it, please share with all your friends on social media or whatever, family. I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Peace. Peace.